All right, welcome to this week's episode of THN on the O. As always, I am Tony Ferrari, and with me is Brock Otten. How you doing this week, Brock? Uh, good, Tony. How you doing? Not too bad. We've got a lot to get through. We're going to be interviewing Scott Wheeler in just a little bit from The Athletic. But first, let's get to some news around the league. First, there's three big trades this week. Uh, two of them, One of them came down today, but let's get to the Pasquale Zito trade first. There's five picks going from uh, North Bay to Niagara, and it included Michael Pod. Oh, I'm going to push this name. Uh, Michael P. Podliuk. Every time I see the name, I go, I'm glad I don't have to say that. And he's not a highly touted prospect. But Detroit Red Wings' Pasquale Zito goes the other way. So what was kind of your take on that trade? Uh, I mean, Niagara does it again, right? So (laughs) they gave up a whole lot for Zito in the offseason in the trade with Windsor. And then they move him to North Bay. And then they immediately, right after that, go and use some of those picks to go get Zach Lavoie from Mississauga Steelheads. So... You know, sort of that one in, one out, which has been par for the course for, for Niagara this year. Obviously, I guess Niagara's thinking Pasquale Zito is not going to be around next year. Um, uh, maybe there's a less of a chance anyway that he's going to be around next year. And Zach Lavoie is a player that they see being around next year as they sort of continue to push to have that Memorial Cup hosting opportunity, right? Uh, and they need a good team to do that. So obviously that's sort of their thinking here. I don't think it's unfounded. I think it's fairly sound thinking in, in terms of the cyclical nature of the OHL. The team's not strong this year, so let's kind of do a almost one-for-one one kind of swap for uh, a guy that's going to help us next year when hopefully our team is a little bit better. Yeah, I look at it as, uh, like you said, Niagara just doing more stuff. Uh, like I mentioned before, there, there's been no team that's been more active on the trade front than Niagara since the end of last season. And they decide, hey, we're not going to make one trade. We're going to make two. And then they, they bring it, like you said, bring in Zach Lua, uh, get rid of or Lavoie, bring, get rid of a guy like Pasquale Zito. It's Niagara doing stuff. And then today, I think, was a bigger trade, in, in my opinion, a more impactful trade, at least on the playoff picture and the teams going forward. And it was Leighton Moore going to the Kitchener Rangers, the Oshawa captain for Joseph Serpa and three picks. Uh, Leighton Moore's going to be an impactful player for the Kitchener Rangers. Yeah, and I think this is a really interesting deal because I think there was some uncertainty as to what Kitchener would do, right? Were they going to be sellers? Were they going to be buyers? I know that they had bought sort of earlier in the year when everybody, including you and I, thought Kitchener would be up near the top of the Western Conference. And, you know, they haven't really been. But they've had a really good, you know, last month or so, really good last couple of weeks in particular. And I think this is sort of a sign to the players that, you know, hey, we still believe in you as a contender in this conference. And even though we may not be near the top of the conference right now, it's a long season and we think we can turn things around. And Leighton Moore is, has been one of the best defenders in the OHL this year. So they bring him in and now their blue line you know, group is, is a really positive one, right? They've got some really good puck movers in Moore and, and Brustavich and uh, Thomas Amara and Simon Moto. And obviously Moore is a guy who I think has really improved in the defensive end this year. I think that's been a really positive step forward for him in his OA year. And I think that he's going to really help Kitchener, like you said. Yeah, it was a really interesting trade, and Oshawa gets rid of their captain, kind of signaling the sell-off that we kind of expected to be all, all season long. We've talked about it a number of times how Cal Richie will probably get a chance to kind of be the guy by the end of the year. And this is just the first domino that I think is going to fall from Oshawa. 
But let's kind of move on to the rest of the news around the league because there's quite a bit to get to. And the one thing I want to talk about next was the top prospects game. The rosters were announced, and there's 50 no HLers. I'm going to quickly read off the list. Goaltender Charlie Robertson from the North Bay Battalion, Bo Aki from the Barry Colts on defense, along with Cam Allen from the Guelph Storm, Oliver Bonk from the London Knights, Hunter Brzezowski from the Kitchener Rangers, and Andrew Gibson from the Sioux Greyhounds. And then up front, Colby Barlow from the Owen Sound Attack, the captain there, Nick Lardis from the Peets, Ethan Miedema from the Windsor Spitfires, Quentin Musty, a guy we've talked about a ton on the podcast from the Sudbury Wolves, Luca Pinelli from the 67s, uh, Colson Petrie from the Flint Firebirds, Carson Raycrop from the Kitchener Rangers as well, Callum Ritchie from the Oshawa Generals, who we were just talking about, and Kerry Terrence from the Erie Otters. There's one name that seems to be sticking out from that list that isn't there. Uh, who do you think it is? It's definitely Denver Barkey. And, you know, I've talked to other people, and I know you're a big fan, and uh, he's the obvious one, right? He had a really good Lincoln tournament for Canada, um, has played very well for London, who is found themselves magically at the top uh, of their division again, playing extremely well over the last couple months. And and he's been the catalyst. And I'm kind of shocked, like a little bit shocked, I guess, but not really. I don't know. It's, it's hard to put into words. Denver Barkey is the type of guy, we've talked about this in the podcast, that I think guys like you and I are going to like a lot more than NHL scouts. And those are the ones who are putting together the, the list for the top prospects game, right? He's a smaller guy. He's not the most dynamic skater, but he has a lot of other things going for him. So I think this sort of signals that, you know, maybe Barkey isn't a guy that NHL scouts are currently looking at as a sort of top 75 pick. He's sort of like a mid round guy, sort of the same way that they viewed Jordan Dumais last year. Right. Um, that's not to say there, there's going to be injury replacements every single year. There are injury replacements in the top prospects games. It's a game of hockey. It's a physical game. Players are going to get hurt. Um, players are going to get sick. Things are going to happen. It's unfortunate, but there's going to be guys who are, are replacements. And some of those guys have done really, really well over the years in the history of this event where they've been injury fill-ins and they have a fantastic game and it does really good things for uh, their draft stock. And I kind of hope uh, that's not to say I'm hoping injuries on anybody, because uh, it's a big event and it's a it's a showcase for them. But I do kind of hope there's sort of a way that we can get Denver Barkey into this game because I am kind of curious to see how he would perform in it. Yeah, it's always a fun, fun little event. It's only one game, so you can't take too much from it. But it's always nice to see everyone kind of get together and some of the best players from around the country compete against each other because it's not often we get to see the OHLers go up against guys from the QA and the dub. So it's going to be really fun to see if Barkey can get in there, because if he does, I have a feeling he's going to be one of those guys with a chip on his shoulder, like you said. Uh, moving on to the next piece of news, though, we have an import coming over to Erie. Andre Molnar, uh, Slovakian prospect, really, really highly touted prospect, a guy that's projected, projected in the second round on, a lot, on most boards. Uh, there was an incident recently in Slovakia at a floorball tournament where he, him and another player, uh, Adam Sikora, got into a fight with, with the opposing team. And Molnar was uh, actually spoken to by police. No charges have been formally filed as of yet, but there was an investigation. This seems to me like a, a thing that I've heard that was going to happen after the World Juniors happening before. Maybe it's just kind of them trying to get rid of the situation. But what, what's your take on Molnar coming over? I mean, kind of excited to, to see him play. He's a very exciting sort of north-south pace pusher. Uh, the kind of guy that is going to be very interesting to watch, uh, as, especially as he joins an Erie team who already has quite a few sort of high-impact transition-type players like Gary Terrence, like Spencer Silva on the blue line. Um, so I'm kind of curious to see how he sort of fits into that group. Uh, like you said, it's the situation surrounding it is kind of unfortunate. 
that this is sort of what has brought an end to him playing in Slovakia and, and moving over here. Um, it's also sort of ended his chances of playing at the World Juniors, from what I understand. Um, do I think he's going to be the last one? I mean, we always see a couple uh, around the World Juniors as players sort of come over and then just stay here. There's obviously a few other well-known import selections that did not come over this year and perhaps maybe do after the world juniors, especially since some of these guys are not getting a ton of playing time overseas. Like uh, Edward Chalet is another one. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's been discussion with how much or how little he's playing in, in the Czech extra league right now. Um, you know, is Molnar the only we'll see, um, but I'm curious to see him play for sure. Yeah, it's a really fun player on the ice, a guy that really just engages in all, in all aspects of the game. Like you said, a pace pusher, a guy that can score, a guy that can be a pretty good playmaker. And at the end of the day, he was a guy that does engage physically at times. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does when he comes to Erie. Like you said, the, the situation's kind of uh, – it's a little bit messy, but charges weren't filed. And at the end of the day, it was a couple 17-, 18-year-olds fighting in a floorball game, uh, played for uh, – at a a high school tournament if I'm not mistaken so dumb stuff like that happens it's not to excuse what he did because it's certainly not uh the cleanest of exits but it's the it's the reason he's come over at this point so uh let's see what he can do with, with Erie and hopefully nothing more comes to this situation because it would be a shame to see him have to be forced out by these office issues Let's jump to the World Juniors, though, as there's six OHLers counting Shane Wright and Brent Clark going to the World Juniors on the Canadian team. Uh, Brent Othman, Jack Mattier, Ben Goudreau, and who's the final one? Ethan Del Mastro. Ethan Del Mastro. There we go. Thank you, Brock. Uh, what's your take on the, the six guys going there? I know we're going to talk to Scott in a minute and get his take as well. Yeah, when we look back to last week's episode, when we sort of gave our predictions on probabilities that these guys would make the team or the final roster – we kind of nailed it. The one that we said was sort of up in the air was Owen Beck. Uh, both kind of put him, you know, I think you were what, 60%. I was 50% or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and ultimately the numbers crunch for him as a center who has never really played off center uh, was just kind of too much for him, especially with the size and age of players that they ended up going with. Right. Yeah, at the end of the day, like you said, Owen Beck was the guy that we were really kind of questioning. Ben Goudreau was up in the air as well. I was a little bit more confident than you, but they did only go with two goalies, and, and they went with the guys that they trust from the U18s, and that's Ben Goudreau and Thomas Millick. It, it, it was an, it's an interesting selection process, but we'll get to, to talking about that with Scott in just a minute. All right, now we welcome on Scott Wheeler from The Athletic. How are you doing today, Scott? Doing well. Just uh, sort of wrapping up in in Moncton here. Today was kind of the final day. They did their car wash with TSN where all the guys do those interviews that you'll see on air, uh, joking about each other and poking fun at each other and all their quirks and all that. So that was their day today. They're done. And now they're off to they're off to St. Stephen to kickstart the the pre-tournament games. And I fly home tomorrow. So just ready to get home for a week, celebrate Christmas with the family and then right back out here on Boxing Day to, to Halifax, not Moncton that time around, at least. All right, I figured we can get started with the second biggest sporting event of the month. Uh, the World Cup's going on. Have you liked that so far? And who do you think's winning? I think uh, after where we're recording today, Argentina just won their semifinal. France is going tomorrow against Croatia. You been paying attention to that? Yeah, I've got a World Cup. Uh, you, you may not believe me, but I've got a World Cup pool going with some buddies from university. And as fate would have it, I picked a France-Argentina final before this all began. So... Uh, I'm going to have to stick with that. I think I had France France beating Argentina in, in the finale here. So 
my my prospects in the pool are looking good. Uh, it, but it's it's just been a ton of fun to watch. I I followed really closely the whole Canadian run over the last four years. Uh, so to see them get there and 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 show well, uh, and mixed mixed feelings about how they showed, but show well enough uh, certainly in the Belgium game at least. So. Uh, that was exciting. Just a ton of fun. My my father-in-law is born and raised in England and has the the whole thick accent and is just an absolute maniac. So uh, he watched watched the England games closely, and I would go over there and, and watch the English games with him. So uh, obviously he was a little heartbroken by the the quarterfinal loss to France, but that was a that was a tough matchup. I hope you put some money down on that with the with the university buddies. Yep, twenty bucks. Everybody put in twenty bucks. I think there's I think there's fourteen of us. So. Oh, it's looking good then. Yeah. Yeah, we did something similar at my work. We uh, did a, a little World Cup pool as well. I had France, so I'm hoping they, they take it away and collect a couple bucks on my own. Uh, but let's get some, to some World Junior stuff. Before we get to the guys that were at camp and on the roster, do you think any of the OHL guys uh, got left out of the camp that maybe should have been there? Maybe a David Goyette or a Colby Barlow? Not really. I, I love David Goyette. I, I've thumped for David Goyette pretty hard, both publicly and privately over the last year and a half. And it, I think it was always going to be tough for him, if only because the, the last memory that Hockey Canada has of, of him in their brain was him playing a third line role on a disappointing U18 team that really didn't go anywhere. Right. And the big question on that U18 team was, okay, who behind Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli is going to step up. And I think everybody's hope in that tournament was that a Nick Moldenhauer or uh, a David Goyette were really going to rise to the occasion. And and that just didn't really happen. And as a result, Canada really struggled over in Germany. So uh, I think because of that, and because David hadn't been involved in, uh, in the summer camp and all of that, it was just, uh, it was going to be tricky for him. Um, Colby, I mean, he's going to be there eventually, right? He's still got two more years of eligibility. Uh, I think the youth was a factor there. A lot of those guys are, are going to be there. It'll actually be interesting next year to see which of the 18 year olds are inevitably cut for team Canada, because you're going to have Colby and Braden Yeager and Zach Benson and all of those guys, Andrew Cristal, they're all going to be fighting for spots and Canada is not going to bring in a lineup exclusively of 18 year olds. So I think there's going to be a lot of Twitter outrage this time next year when, when some of those names are inevitably cut as 18 year olds. So Colby's a, an interesting one though, because Colby's one of those guys who, who he can be a third or fourth line guy on that team, right? He doesn't have to play like an Andrew Cristal might have to play at the very top of that lineup. Colby's going to be just fine as a potential sort of depth player on that lineup, potentially as early as next year. So uh, no surprises this year in terms of, of those guys, obviously Ty Voigt on the American side was a little surprising past the job, same deal. Um, but really none of the, none of the other kids on the Canadian side came as a surprise for me as, as far as OHLers go. I'm curious about the NHL OHLers. We'll call them that. Uh, Shane Wright and Brent Clark. What are your expectations for those two at the tournament? Well, Shane, if we all remember, was was pretty uninspiring in the December iteration this time last year. He played on that second line with Cole Perfetti. Cole Perfetti, when it canceled, uh, had six points in two games and had led led the, the tournament in scoring to that point. And Shane, despite playing on his line, only had the one assist, right? So 
I think you hope for a bounce back. I think there's a little bit of sort of rewriting that he wants to do as well. Not a, not a, he doesn't need a chip on his shoulder or motivation, but I think he was probably disappointed by how he played in that tournament. And now it's his opportunity to sort of put a flag in the ground and be the guy and work his way onto the media all-star team potentially, or at least be one of the top three Canadian players uh, that are named by the coaching staffs at the end of the tournament. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Can he emerge? Can he be a step above a Logan Stankoven, who we know is going to be a great? Can he be a step above Olin Zellweger, who we know is going to be great, right? Can he be the guy on this team? And this team has plenty of players who are capable of being that. So it's a it's big opportunity for him. He was that on the U18 team. I mean, Bedard was brilliant in Texas, but he really was special in that tournament uh, and really sort of positioned himself well into his draft year because of it. Uh, obviously the draft year was a bit of a bit more of a mixed bag, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for Shane. It's, it's going to be a, an opportunity for him. And then Brant, I mean, how great is it for him after being left off twice uh, to, to come back and not even have to play or participate in selection camp because hockey Canada likely promised the, the LA Kings that he was going to be on the team. Right. So uh, it's, it's a big deal for Brant. He's probably going to be the PP2 guy uh, behind Zellweger, I would think, uh, which isn't, I'm sure, exactly where he'd want to be. He'll probably be the number two guy at even strength at five on five, also behind Zellweger, uh, because Zellweger is going to play on his offside and play on the right side for this team. Uh, but even still, he's a, he's a staple in that. He's going to be a staple in that top four. He's going to be running one of the power play units. And you'd like to see him be creative and have one of those sort of big world junior moments. And he's the kind of player who's who's capable of rising to that challenge and and really making a, a statement when it matters and making a big play. And uh, we all know he has the talent. So I'm I'm really looking forward to watching both of those guys. Do you think they both end up in the OHL after the tournament? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it's more likely than not that Brant does. Uh, I think Shane, it's still less likely. The conversations I've had, it, it it feels like Seattle just wants to work with him throughout this year and get him back into the into the fold. And him going back to the OHL is a very complicating thing because Kingston would likely have to trade him. You're then trading a kid who was your captain, and it, it's it just becomes a bit of a sticky thing. Uh, and then he, it, also a lot of say, there would be a lot of say from, from Cam Stewart, his agent in that process, from the Seattle Kraken in that process, from Shane in that process. It's, it would likely be a very limiting number of teams that he would be comfortable getting traded to, likely all of the teams that are contenders. Uh, Peterborough Pete's fans are constantly in my, uh, in my mentions about it because they'd love to see him play with Brennan Othman, but uh no, it's it, that him going back is, I don't think it's out of the question, uh, but it does feel like it's a very complicated thing to execute if that happens and to keep him happy throughout it. And uh, I mean, if he goes and wins an OHL title and gets to play in a Memorial Cup, maybe it's worthwhile. But if that doesn't transpire and he could have been getting more comfortable in the NHL, then suddenly you start to ask questions about whether it was the right choice. So feels like a bit of a lose-lose, honestly, because if, if he goes back to Seattle and they still can't find ice time for him, then that's a difficult situation to be in as well. But Brandt, it's tough. He, he can't they've, – they've used their conditioning stint bullet, and it just doesn't look like there's an opening on that roster as they try to compete for a playoff spot and potentially even add at the deadline uh, in L.A. So, yeah, it, it will, uh, him sort of going back and finishing the year in the OHL, I think, is more likely. Yeah, I think you uh... – 
kind of hit the nail on the head with some of the stuff that Tony and I have talked about on, on the podcast so far with the likelihood of those two going back too. I'm curious about your thoughts on Ethan Del Mastro. Do you think he's going to be one of the key defenders on this team as a returning player? I do. Yeah. Because Brant and Nolan are both going to be on the right side, that left side there, there is sort of more of an opportunity for the other guys to, to grab hold of one of those top four jobs. I think by default, because he's a returnee and because he was the only other of those three defensemen that got to sit out both of the U sports games, they view him as, as the first pairing lefty guy to start. Uh, that doesn't mean he finishes there, but it was really just him, Olin and, and, uh, and Brandt, who got to sit out both of the U Sports games. So they liked what they saw. He was, if everybody recalls, was not the guy, right? He was at a music festival, and he got called in late to join Team Canada. He played behind Carson Lambos. Then Lambos has a tough game. He comes into the lineup and, and doesn't let go of it in, at the summer tournament in Edmonton. So for him to go from that, where he wasn't even going to likely be on that roster to suddenly now being a sort of viewed as one of their top three guys. I, I think he'll play a big role. He'll be PK one. He'll compliment whether it's Brant or Olin. I think he'll compliment them well. And just in terms of style of play, a bit of a yin and a yang thing there with those, those play types. Uh, so that all of that bodes well for him behind him. I think on this blue line is where things get interesting on the left side, because I think you can probably expect that the third left D is going to be Kevin Korchinski so that they can have some of that offensive flair on each of their pairings with Korchinski on one and Brant and Olin on the other two. Uh, but then who, who's that other top four defenseman, right? Is it a Nolan Allen who is a left shot and could play with a Brant Clark? Is it a Tyson Hines who played really well in selection camp? And then the other guy is Jack Natier who, who, feels to me like he's going to be the guy that plays with Korchinski because he's a righty. So uh, yeah, that, that it's whether they can find what they're looking for in Allen and Hines will be interesting. I think that's the big thing that they have to sort out is which one of those guys is the seventh D and which one of those guys is potentially playing in the top four uh, as kind of a, a valve for, for those two offensive guys on the right side. Now you brought him up just now with Jack Mitchell and, what did you kind of like about him in camp and what role do you expect him to play? Is he going to be on that third pairing or do you think he could po possibly move up into the top four somehow? Yeah, I expect him to be uh, a lot like what I expect of Allen and of Del Mastro. He's going to be one of uh, on one of the two PK units. Um, he's going to be counted upon to sort of settle his game down and simplify his game. He's actually been a, uh, and you guys would know this as well as anyone, but he's been more, a little bit more ambitious this year, uh, offensively with that, with that group in Ottawa and obviously playing on the power play there now. And the points have really started to come for him and that's a big deal for him, but that's never going to be, uh, what he is at the same level for the same reason that Ethan Del Mastro, who plays on the power play in Mississauga, isn't going to do that at the next level. Right. So, uh, he's, he's going to be do, doing more of what I think you'll see him doing at the pros with this kind of a team here. So I, I just expect him to be a good five on five defender who put, who s sort of simplifies his game and, and moves pucks up to those forwards quickly and sort of plays that style. The, whether he can get into the top four is interesting, though. If if they struggle to get what they're looking for out of Nolan Allen and Tyson Hines, maybe then you move Olin Zellweger over to the left side, which is where his handedness is, and then suddenly it's Brant and, and Jack in the top four on the right side. So uh, that, I don't think, is completely out of the question. Naturally, then you also have to figure out who's on the right side on the third pairing in that situation. But 
uh, no, not not completely out of the question. And obviously, the familiarity with Jason Boyd, who's the GM in Ottawa, is there. He's running Team Canada's management group again this year, so they're going to be comfortable with who he is, and they they know him in and out as well. Yeah, you mentioned earlier on the podcast though, Pete's fans, you know, casually sliding into your DMs about the Othman Wright sort of reconnection. Do you think there's a chance that Othman plays with Shane Wright at the World Juniors? I do. Yeah. Obviously that U18 team that won gold uh, in Texas, their top line was, was Othman, Wright and Genther. And coincidentally, all three of those guys are back together here. So I think if, if they don't start with that, they're going to go to that at some point. I'm not sure that in the gold medal game, the first line is Othman, Wright and, and Genther, but it feels like something that the coaching staff are all just going to decide to try at some point. So if it sticks, that could be your first line. And then suddenly you've got Logan Stankoven and, Connor Bedard as natural fits on the second line. And then you've got to figure out who plays left wing with them. Uh, I think the natural uh, sort of gut reaction from everybody would be okay. Just put Adam Fantilli, the left-handed shot on that line. But the more I've thought about that, and that's actually how I had it mocked up uh, when I did the lines for my piece at the athletic. But the more I think about that, the I'm not sure they're going to go that direction. I'm not sure they're going to want two draft eligible guys playing on the same line even if Logan Stankoven is a great sort of compliment to that as a veteran guy, a returnee, a 19 year old, excellent in the face-off circle, all of that. Um, so that, that piece of it is going to be interesting because if, if Fantilli isn't in the top six and we know those other five guys are likely going to be there, maybe he's just a part of a skilled third line that you shelter a little bit and, and roll out there in offensive zone situations. So uh, they've got a, they've got a lot to tinker with, but then if, uh, on the on the flip side of that, if Fantilli isn't in the top six, who's who's that other left winger with with Brendan Othman, right? And the reality is that this team Canada is really deep at center and really deep at right wing. And the the left wing, there are some question marks. Caden Banker snuck onto this team, but do you want him playing in the top six? Maybe you do. He's comfortable there playing with Logan Stankoven. They're both Kamloops players. Uh, so maybe that does make sense. Maybe it's Banker who gets to play with Stankoven and and Bedard potentially. So a lot of a lot of moving parts. But the left wing situation, as far as the forwards go, is definitely where the question marks are. We know that Othman's going to play there. Uh, Joshua Waugh is a left-handed shot, but he plays right wing in the QMJHL. So I expect that he'll play there. They had him at right wing in camp. They didn't have him on the left. So. Uh, a lot of decisions to be made, but certainly the left-wing ones are, are the big ones. Now, we've talked about the forwards and we've talked about the defensemen, but net's going to be a really interesting decision as well. Ben Goudreau obviously plays in the, the OHL. He's had a little bit of a, uh, an up-and-down year this year with a bit more down than kind of expected, but he had a really good camp from what I was able to see in the highlights and everything, and he, he was probably one of the better performers, at least in terms of save percentage in the games. What did you like about his camp, and do you think he has a chance of being the starter? Yeah, so it's interesting that the three goalies kind of all the three goalies that they considered bringing in in Milic, Godro, and and uh, and William Russo, they all had kind of the same kind of a game. They each faced between fifteen and twenty shots. They each gave up two or three goals, and at the end, that made it a, a very difficult decision for Hockey Canada. I think Tyler Brennan uh, played himself out. He gave up five goals on fifteen shots, and that was you could kind of even see it in his body language. I think he knew that 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 was going to be it for him. But they they told Russo that Russo, if if injury struck, he was going to be the third guy. And ultimately, they decided to go with what was familiar, which was again right back to that gold medal 
in Texas where it was it was Godreau and Milich uh, were the two goalies there. So I, I just think despite the fact that Ben hasn't had a great year and that his numbers have never been particularly sterling, I think they trust him because he has that gold medal game experience. He was excellent in that tournament in Texas and he's just been there before. And that's something that's pretty rare for, for goalies at this level to have sort of big games like that. So uh, I, I think he's the favorite, the way they've talked about him. I think he's kind of the favorite too, but Milich was again, big game experience with Seattle in the playoffs last year. He was excellent for the Thunderbirds in the playoffs last year. Uh, less so this year, him and Ben Ratzlaff have kind of been a tandem there with Seattle. Uh, and, and Ben has borderline outplayed Thomas, but uh, it's a, uh, or Scott Ratzlaff, I should say, I've got Ben Godreau on the, on, on my mind, but uh, no, it's, it's going to be interesting. I think, I think selection camp was, was a, the start of it, but I think that that question about the goalies is going to spill right through their three pre-tournament games and into the, into the group play. This is not a Devin Levi situation. This is not a Carter Hart situation. Uh, it's going to be uh, sort of a, a contest and then they'll, they'll have to figure it out come quarterfinals. But I do think they want it and they're hoping uh, deep down, I think they're hoping that it's going to be Ben. Why do you think Owen Beck found himself sort of on the outside looking in? I just think they wanted to go big in that bottom six. Um, I, I don't think they're worried about scoring in this tournament. Uh, not that Beck's even a, that he's, he wouldn't have even been brought in to be a scorer. I think Beck came in expecting that if I'm going to make this team, it's going to be as a sort of 200 foot North South checking center who can, who can uh, take faceoffs and all that. One of the challenges, and I spoke to, uh, a couple of people uh, are, who, who are sort of around Beck about this is that he didn't have the positional versatility that a lot of these kids had. He was only going to make the team as a center. Caden Bankier has played a lot of wing and a lot of center with Kamloops, for example. Zach Dean has played a lot of wing and a lot of center. Uh, Beck's been a center his whole life. And I think that that was a part of it. Obviously, him being 18, it's always, whether they say it or not, it's always easier to cut an 18-year-old than a 19-year-old just for the human aspect of it. Um, and they they just wanted to be big and heavy and a lot to handle in that bottom six. And that's, frankly, whether you like the decisions that they made or not, that's exactly what they're going to be. It is going to be, even if those aren't the most the six most talented players that could have filled out that bottom six, uh, they're going to be, I think, extremely effective. You look at the group that they've brought, Zach Ostapchuk, Nathan Gaucher, uh, Reed Schaefer, uh, even Caden Bankier's 6'2", 200 pounds. Uh, it's, a, it's a really, really heavy group. Joshua Waugh could play in that bottom six. He's another sort of strong kid. So uh, that was there. And then obviously Colton Dock, who was really the only surprise. I actually didn't think he played very well in camp. Um, so Colton was probably the only surprise. And I think if there's a case to be made uh, for a guy like uh, like Beck to, to have made the team, it probably would have been over Colton Dock, if anyone else. Uh, and they just liked that Colton's huge and that he can penalty kill. Uh, obviously, Beck can penalty kill as well, but uh, they, they liked some of the sort of specialization that, that Doc gave them, I think. You mentioned earlier about uh, Ty Void and, and Sasha Pashyov. Do you think the U.S. is, is going to end up really regretting not bringing those two into the fold? I think there's potential for that, yeah. Uh, this U.S. team, if, if you look at their group that they've got in camp, especially up front, they've got a ton of talent on that blue line, and that's going to be the strength of this, this Team USA. But uh, 
up front, there are some major question marks. I think they have a lot of really good role players, right? They've got the the Charlie Stramos, the the Red Savages. These are these are guys who really work and make sense as bottom six players in an event like this. Red Savage in particular, obviously. Uh, Rucker McGrory could be a part of that. So they've got a lot of sort of complete hockey players at the bottom of the lineup. But if you look at the very top of that group, it's going to be that first line that we saw a couple of years ago at the program, right? You're going to have that first line almost certainly is going to be reunited with Cutter Gauthier, Logan Coley, and Jimmy Snuggerud. And then after that, there's some question marks, especially with Chaz Lucius's health still being in question. He's skating in camp this week, but he's been wearing a red jersey. And they, I think they expect him to be ready for Boxing Day, and he'll be the second-line center behind Logan Cooley if he is. Uh, but really, if, if Chaz can't go, that's another offensive guy that they'll be missing. And then suddenly, if that power play doesn't click, or if they, they're winning uh, games that they should be blowing out 10 nothing, if they're winning them 4-1, uh, suddenly you start to wonder, okay, when the games get tough, is there enough talent here to, to put the puck in the net? And that that's what that's what Ty Voigt and Sasha Pastjob could have brought, right? They could have been PP2 guys for them, and they could have been sort of secondary middle six playmakers for them sasha in particular was a little bit of a surprise for me uh just because he is uh, has been a part of the program repeatedly was a returnee uh, had played so well after the trade uh, to sarnia and it just he's a great kid and he, he just he kind of fits into that that quick tournament psyche right like he just would have made a lot of sense i think so uh yeah it'll be interesting they you, i think they're going to be counting on on guys like dylan duke and and Rucker McGrory to, to put the puck in the net. And I, I love both of those players, but uh, they, they are definitely missing a little bit of puck skill in that group. Yeah, it was really interesting to see Pashadov left off, especially because he, he was pretty good in a depth role over the summer. So it's going to be interesting to see if they, they regret it. But before we get you out of here, do you have any predictions for Team Canada and maybe some medal picks before you go? I think Canada's the favorites. Um, goaltending is the big question mark for Canada. If Canada loses in a semifinal or a gold medal game, I think it's going to be because they, they let in a soft goal or two in a tight checking game. Uh, I think the Americans and the Swedes are both prepared to play that. Uh, I know the Finns uh, handed the Swedes a really embarrassing 6-1 loss uh, it, uh, about a month ago as, they, as both of those federations tuned up for this. But I do think that the Swedes are, are the better, more talented team. Push come to shove, that, that center depth that they have with Noah Oslin, Philip Bystedt, and Leo Carlson, that's as good a 1-2-3 down the middle as there will be in this tournament. Uh, so I have faith in the Swedes. I know they're chronic underachievers in this tournament. Uh, maybe with the new coaching staff in the post-Thomas Monton era, we can get a, a, a big performance from them. So I think it's going to be Canada 1, and then I think you'll see the Americans and the Swedes uh, some combination of two, three. Um, obviously the Finns and the Czechs are always sort of in the mix. The Czechs in particular have the most returnees in this tournament by a lot, by like half a dozen returnees, basically their full team other than uh, Jan Mishak and David Juracek, who are <laughs> their two best players. Uh, but basically the full team other than those two guys are back from the summer tournament. So uh, I'm excited to to watch that group. And then this Slovak team should be much better. It was a really weak team for them in the summer because a lot of their guys chose not to participate. But now that they've got Philip playing and they've got Simon back, it's it's going to be more fun to watch. Plus, 
those draft eligible guys, Alex Siernik, et cetera, all being a year older, Dalibor Dvorsky. Uh, so the, the Slovaks should be fun to watch too, but I, I think I'd probably go Canada one and then, I don't know, Sweden two or USA three or some, some combination of that. All right, Scott, well, we really appreciate you doing this. Why don't you plug some stuff before you get out of here? Just uh, theathletic.com and my book. Those are really the only two things I have I have to plug. If you're a draft uh, a sort of a guru or fan or diehard follower of prospects, then the book, whether you're a Leafs fan or not, uh, on the clock behind the scenes with the Toronto Maple Leafs draft, it really is for draft junkies more than it is for Leafs fans. So I uh, would encourage you to check that out in advance of the holidays here. And uh, great I should say a great Christmas gift for the the Leafs fan or hockey fan in your life. Perfect stuffing stuck or uh, stocking stuffer. Ooh, yeah, that was a tongue twister. All right, Scott, we really appreciate you doing this. Have a great one. Thanks, guys. See you, Scott. All right, that was an excellent conversation with Scott Wheeler from the Athletic. It's always fun to have guests like that on, especially somebody that was on the ground. Uh, what were your takeaways from the conversation, real quickly? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agreed, sort of with everything that Scott said, there were no real surprises there. Um, I'm really curious in particular to see if they bring together that line that Scott mentioned uh, of Othman, Wright and Gunther from the U18s. I think that's sort of like the big takeaway. I, I really want to see if that's something that ends up coming together. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And as he mentioned as well, Connor Bedard and Fantilli, do they play together? Do they get separated? Does Fantilli become that third monster down the middle? Or what, what do they do with that? And, and Ben Goudreau is the other big storyline that came out of it for me. Is he going to be the starter? He was the guy that I, I said last week, I think is going to be the starter. And that's coming off of uh, not a great season in the OHL so far, to say the least. So it's going to be interesting to see that. But let's get to our three stars of the week. Uh, let's start off with Windsor's Matt Maggio, four goals, four assists in three games. What did you think about his game this week? Uh, we've kind of talked about him previously uh, on the podcast, and and he's just one of the best players in the OHL right now. I, I really, truly believe that. Um, I, yes, he's an OA. Uh, I think there was some question as to whether the Islanders maybe would try to find a spot for him at the AHL level on an AHL contract, um, being that he was just drafted last year. They kind of had that flexibility. But returning to Windsor and sort of being the man uh, for lack of better term, without Wyatt Johnson, has, has been really good for his development, I think. And we're really seeing him blossom into a phenomenal player. Uh, I don't know if it's really changed his NHL projection for me. I think he probably still profiles as maybe like a middle six guy, more likely a bottom six guy. Um, but uh, he's had a phenomenal year, had a really good week. Windsor continues to play fairly well. Um, yeah. I know you're yeah, more familiar with him than, than I am, even, Tony. Yeah, he was a guy that was coming out of the OHL draft, had a little bit of offensive flair, and obviously COVID threw things up in the air a little bit. Uh, there was a missed season in the OHL, and Maggio's development was obviously affected by that. And then this year, he's been able to kind of come out and, and blossom, really. And he's got that feistiness in him as well, which I always love to see. He's a guy that's a hometown favorite here in Windsor. Everyone around town seems to love him. So it's, it's fun to see him do some big things offensively. And, and let's move on to our second star of the week, though. Hunter Haight, a guy that was – just traded to the Saginaw Spirit, and he's not stopped scoring since he's been there. Yeah, I mean, amazing week. Three goals, five assists, and four games. Uh, hasn't uh, been held pointless in any game as a Saginaw Spirit so far. He's really turned the corner after a disappointing start with, with Barry to start the year, and uh, it's, it's great to see. 
Yeah, it's always fun when you can get a guy who puts up eight points in four games, especially for a new team. He's really making an impact with that Saginaw team who, like you and I have mentioned a couple of times, we do think that's probably the, the favorite for the Memorial Cup for the uh, for the OHL next year. Is he going to be a guy that factors into that, that team getting that, even if he's not necessarily there? It's going to be interesting to see. But our third star of the week is an, another overager, and that's Ryan Gagne, two goals, six assists, three games this week. Yeah, and I mean, he's an OA. He's a high-energy guy. He had a nice little breakout season um, in his final year in the league. And if anything, maybe he's now sort of a trade piece for Osho with how he's played. They just moved out late more, who we just talked about. Um, he's the type of guy that could kind of come into another team and play in their bottom six, add some some value as a penalty killer, um, bring versatility to their lineup. And he had a really good week for, for Oshawa, who, you know, despite – some of the difficulties early on this year has been playing a little bit better of late. Yeah. He's a guy, like you said, energy guy, a guy that can make a difference on a team looking to compete, which isn't necessarily Oshawa. So it'd be an interesting name to keep an eye on as we get to the trade deadline in the new year, but let's move on to our team of the week. As we finish up today's episode, two big prospects for the Anaheim ducks this week. And let's start off with Sasa Pashadov. We just talked about a little bit with, with Scott and uh, many a times on the show, he's got 18 goals and 18 assists. In 23 games for 36 points, but he has 17 points in that in nine games since being traded from Sarnia to Guelph, or from Guelph to, to Sarnia from Guelph. Sorry, uh, what have you liked about his games, especially since the trade? Yeah, I think the big thing has just been the chemistry that he's able to develop with Ty Voigt. Um, again, another reason why those two should have brought, been brought to U.S. camp uh, by USA Hockey, right? But uh, I do really like components of of. Sasha's game. I think he works really well down low. Um, and obviously his hockey sense and his ability to score are, are standout qualities. It's just the skating, right? Like, is that going to get to a level where he's going to be a top six NHL player? Uh, we've kind of seen it with other types of players. Uh, Michael Del Cole, we've seen it with Jeremy Morin. We've seen it with other really good OHL goal scorers who've had trouble transitioning to the NHL level as a goal scorer because the pace is just not there. And that's ultimately what Sash is going to have to continue to work on. Uh, the one thing I will say is comparatively to guys like Morin and guys like uh, Michael Dow Cole, I think Sasha is a little bit more dialed in physically um, in terms of like as a four checker, in terms of puck pursuit, in terms of his willingness to engage and crash the net and score some of those like dirty garbage goals. I, I think he's a little bit more willing than some of the similar kinds of players we've seen fail over the years. And, you know, there I think there is value in that. And I think that does give him maybe a little bit more of a higher likelihood. Um, and I still think there's he's facing a bit of an uphill battle, though. What do you think, Tony? Yeah, I agree with you there on, on him facing an uphill battle. I look at him as a guy that if he's put in the right situation, I think he has the offensive tools and the offensive mind to succeed, but he's got to get with a guy like in Anaheim, for instance, a Troy Terry, a Trevor Zegers, a guy that can carry the load in transition and pushing the pace and let Sasha get to his spots, post up, score some goals, make some really nice passes, because I do think he's an underrated playmaker as well. And I think he can be an offensive presence. He's a high-end passenger. He's not a guy that's going to drive play, though. So it's going to be interesting, and the fit's going to be a big thing for him, I think. Uh, yeah, ab absolutely. The fit is going to be um, really, really important. And I think that's that's true for a lot of prospects, especially goal-scoring prospects, right? Um, you know, developing that chemistry with, with a top-line center is 
really first and foremost, the most important. All right, now let's get to a guy we've talked about a million times on this podcast, a guy that we both thought was going to be a top defender in the OHL, and he hasn't disappointed thus far, and that's Pavel Minjikov, a guy with 39 points, 13 goals, 26 assists in just 30 games for the Saginaw Spirit. What have you liked about his game this year, aside from everything that we've already talked about? Yeah, I mean, everything. Like, Pavel's been just a, an absolute force this year in the OHL. Um you know, I, he obviously was great as a, as a draft eligible player, but we've seen the confidence blossom even further. Uh, you jokingly said at, at the beginning before we started taping, he's a left winger playing defense. Uh, he, he's he's incredibly skilled. And um, I think the defensive game has actually made strides this year. Uh, I think that there are some tendencies that are going to have to be worked out of his game as he progresses from junior to the pros. Uh, I kind of look at it similar to like a guy like Alex Petrangelo. I think he had some really bad habits toward the end of his OHL career in terms of some pinching and, and things that he just wasn't going to get away with at the NHL level. And he was able to you know, transition pretty seamlessly because he was skilled enough and and a good enough player. And I think Pavel's sort of the same. I think that Anaheim has a lot to work with, and I think their coaching staff will sort of coach out some of those you know higher risk tendencies. Yeah, I always say that I want to be able to rein a prospect in rather than light a fire under their butt. And Pavel's definitely a guy you have to rein in rather than light a fire because he's more than willing to engage. He's more than willing to go and push the pace and and play that offensive modern game that defenders are doing nowadays. I, I think he's going to be really exciting when he gets to the next level. But it, like you said, there is going to be some things that he's going to need to work out of his game. And whether it's the Dallas Eakins staff that's currently in Anaheim or a new staff that's probably going to be there next year i think it's going to be interesting to see how they work with them over the next couple of years and and what they can get out of this player because there's a really high end up ceiling uh for pavel Michikov. yeah 100 all right let's get out of here brock we've been here long enough it's a long episode today but anything else you want to talk about from the ohl no man I, that's it i think like you said long episode but a good one hope you all enjoyed it all right. Thanks. Thank you again to Scott Wheeler from The Athletic for joining us today. With that said, stay healthy and stay safe. We'll see you again.